Coming to you live from Star Worldwide Networks in Scottsdale, Arizona. Be, dream, do. Living by design. The radio show is focused on people sharing their stories of how they were able to understand what they were really passionate about and had the courage to dream big and then did it. Now, join the conversation with your host, David. Well, welcome listeners to Soggy Scottsdale. Yes, that's right. This is one of those rare times when we, when we came in today. We had to open up one of those things. I think they call them umbrellas uh, to walk in. Uh, this is your host, Dave Whitehorn, and I have my son here, Sean. Hi, good morning. I'm really thrilled, <laughs> really, really thrilled to have our special guest today. We have royalty here on the, on the air with us. This is Princess Soma Nora Dome. Soma, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's funny when you call me princess, because <laughs> I have to tell you the story, because, you know, um, because I actually got my title when I went back to Cambodia in 2010. Yeah. And when people used to call me princess, you know, it's like funny because I would giggle. Because, you know, <laughs> growing up as a kid, you want to be a princess. Uh, you want to wear that, as you know, Halloween costume. And then, yeah. I, and, and yeah, in 2010, I was, you know, you're really a princess. <laughs> so thank you, David. And hello, Sean. Hi, good morning. It's great to have you on the show. For the benefit of our listeners, uh, Soma and I, our, our paths crossed mm-hmm. back when we had a common employer uh, some years ago, mm-hmm. and um, a very, very close friend of mine, and obviously uh, uh, your fiancé, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Soma, mm-hmm. and, um, and um, you've got a very interesting story. And instead of me telling it, um, help us understand uh, a little bit about, you know, your journey and the things that you've done. Sure. Um, Well, David and Sean, Mm -hmm. I was actually the very first group of Cambodian refugees here in the United States. And this was 1975 when they didn't know what refugees were. You know, of course, it was immigrants. But refugees are those who have been in, in a war, right. war-torn country, and they are now um, going to a new country, and that's going to be their new home. Right. So at this time, from 1971 to 75, the Vietnam War was going on, and the country of Cambodia was used as a middle ground right. to uh, transfer food, ammunition, you name it, right. from the U.S., to South Vietnam, because the U.S. and South Vietnam were fighting the communists, which is North Vietnam. Right, so right. that's just a little history. We won't get into that. But what happened was um, my dad, who was a general in the uh, Cambodian Royal Air Force, was actually working with the U.S. government. Right. He was the middle man. And that's how we were able to come to the U.S. in 1975. It was April 17. We were the first refugee because the first plane out, when the Khmer Rouge took over the country of Cambodia, right. um, we were the first plane out, you know, the U.S. Uh, government, the U.S. Air Force, because my dad was helping out. And this might be a little confusing because I do, you know, talk about it in my book, but um, the royal family, which is my family, um, the, the king the late King Nordam Sihanouk at that time was in charge of the country. Right. And he sided with the Khmer Rouge because he didn't know, he didn't trust the U.S. government, thought that right. the U.S. was trying to take over the country. Yeah. Um, so my dad pretty much loved the Air Force. So he's not going to side with your family, my blood, whatever, but you are going to side by what your passion is. 
and because of, you know, the, the story is about what we're passionate about. My dad's passionate about the Air Force flying. So in a way, I'm blessed to have him have that connection with the U.S. Air Force. Right. That we were actually the first refugee to come here in 1975. So mm. um, that's I make my way here. And, you know, grew up, David and Sean, it was really hard because at that time, you know, there was no support system. Of course, no funding. Nobody knew, like I said, refugees were. Um, we did grow up, you know, going to school and getting teas. But what was good about that is made us stronger. Yeah. We got thick skin. But, you know, as a child getting teas, like, you know, you need to go home where you're at, refugee, this and that. Um, I didn't understand it. And then, of course, my mom and dad's not going to understand it because they're also refugees. Right, they just say, right. okay, okay, just don't hang out with those mean kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, where was this? So that's how it where did you Where did you settle when you came to the States? Um, yeah, so the first group of refugees, the first plane, we're actually in Camp Pendleton, uh-huh. which is in San Diego area. And we pretty much um, had migrated then throughout Southern California. And Long Beach, California is home to the largest Cambodian-American community next to the country of Cambodia. So I, yeah. you could say, yeah, you could say um, my family is still here and I'm here, but Long Beach, California is actually the center of the Cambodian community because my dad and his friends were, who were pilots and generals and colonels Lieutenants mm-hmm. all, you know, came together as refugee, and they started building the community. Years later, when we started getting um, acclimated into the country, the U.S., my dad and his friends would help um, support future refugees coming in. They were coming in every, like, five years, four right. or five years. So right, right. the first wave was just us, 1975, but the real one was 1979. And that's oh. not just Cambodians, but Vietnamese, right. Laotian. Right. So it's usually uh, refugees are those who are coming to stay at another country from war-torn countries. Right, right. Just because of the negotiation of those countries that maybe they helped in the war, which, right. of course, my dad did help yeah. the U.S. Uh, government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just um, an amazing journey there. I know the, it's uh, what a blessing that you uh, and your family were able to leave before the Khmer Rouge yeah. uh, mm-hmm. took over because those were really... Uh, just really frightening times in, in Cambodia. But we're on the other side of that now. So here you came to the States, and you were in, uh, in mm-hmm. California, Southern California, and uh, you'd get teased and, and, uh, and yeah. you know, I guess, bullied, I guess, to some, <laughs> some, some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And um, you had to endure that. So, um, you know, what after, did you go to high school there in, in California as well, or...? Actually, I did. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted to say it's not just us being refugees. Kids are kids. They're going to bully yeah. other kids. Yeah. But because we had a disadvantage of learning to speak English, and luckily I was only four mm. or five years old, and I wasn't able, I didn't speak Khmer in the household because my mom and dad was busy working and going to school. Yeah. So we were hanging out with American kids, and our language really was English. Right. Um, but I'm not saying that just refugees, you know, we are bullied, but it's all kids. They all bully each other, you know. It's just kind of like a, a adolescent age. But yeah. for us, it was a disadvantage because we were not only kids being bullied, but we're also refugees. Yeah, yeah. But you have to, and and you know what that is. Those who were actually uh, bullied, um, they're actually going to go one way or the other way. So we've had a lot of refugees here, kids that actually join gangs 
and which is mm. sad to see, you know, because that was their family because their mom and dad wasn't at home to watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was luckily uh, able not to join gangs or uh, be a part of the, you know, an association that was uh, dangerous, violent, um, because I was just always focused on school. Right. right. But yeah, uh, I went to junior high, high school in California, and then, of course, I uh, went to Fresno State in college. And the reason why, David, because I moved every couple of years because my dad, um, he's just so kind-hearted and he's a humanitarian and he always wants to help our Cambodian refugees. So once we built the Cambodian community of Long Beach, I'm like 10 years old and 11. We go move to Seattle, Washington. He built the Cambodian community of Seattle. So I'm moving. Wow. <laughs> and we, we come back and I'm like, okay, dad, I really just want to graduate four years in a school. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to graduate high school down in Southern California. And I said, fine, I'll go with you to Fresno because in 1987, which I graduated in 88, right. um, he also established the Cambodian community of Fresno. Oh my so goodness. So Fresno State, of course. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to Fresno State. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. By the way, uh, I love Fresno State, um, diehard Bulldog. Yeah. I'm a, a big supporter of the alum, Alumni Association. And, you know, this past weekend, David, um, Fresno State played Toledo. And they know what happened. And, you know, David, from yeah. working with you, and he always thought so highly of you. But Dave is Thank my you. fiance, and he, we all worked at Telco. And this past May, on Memorial Day in the morning, we both were in a solo car accident, and he was killed immediately. So what Fresno State, the Alumni Association, wanted to do was to pay respect, as I told them the story yeah. about how this family in Fresno came out with a single father and two daughters to help with the accident. So what they did is they gave them VIP um, access to the field, you know, pictures with the, our mascots. And yeah. time out and yeah. just great see just to to thank them for being good Samaritan to help because when you're in an accident a lot of times people just drive by or pass by and no one really wants to help but you know there are good people out there and the Winekins were the family that I considered my angels from heaven that came out to help Dave and I. Well that's 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 a great story and I appreciate yeah. you sharing that and it not only honors them but it also honors Dave. Uh, God, yeah. uh, God rest mm-hmm. his soul, and 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 God bless you, Soma, for what you've endured through that whole process. Thank you. So here you are with this. Um, I'm just going to say it: a bit of a privileged background in Cambodia, with your father and as a, mm-hmm. as, as a general, and you uh, with royal blood in, in in you, and coming to the states, and then having to endure uh, humiliating circumstances to some to some extent. And and you know, I'm curious what dreams you may have had when uh, when you started oh. college? Well, I'm not going to say Cambodians, but most Asian parents want their kids to be a doctor or a lawyer. And luckily we have one, yeah, luckily we have one lawyer in the family and none of us are doctors. But I want it to be Barbara Walters. Okay. Yes. So, you know, you got to go now. Barbara Walters was the it woman because uh-huh. it's rare to have female anchoring so, of course, she was one of the hosts of 2020. Right. She would do, uh, you know, news, of course, ABC, but never the anchor. Right. And when I was watching her, I'm like 8, 9, 10 years old, David, when the kids are playing outside. I'm like, Dad, can I watch 2020 Friday <laughs> night, stay up late? He's yeah. like, okay. Yeah, so I love Barbara Walters, and she was my idol. And I said, when I grow up, I want to be Barbara Walters. Well, my sister goes, you look more like Connie Chung. 
<laughs> I said, okay, that's racist. Um, because at that time, Connie Chung was uh, up and coming also. Yeah, uh, Asian that's true. American, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, correspondent, anchor, you name it. And so first you have a female person and you also have an Asian. So yeah, she, she was my role model, but I just didn't look at it, color, race. You know, I'm like, sure. she's really good. I yeah. want to be Barbara Walters. Right. Yeah, that's right. my idol. That's my dream. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while, but I did it, you know. Um, but you have to go through those struggles, but you have to have a dream and... You can't listen to those who are going to be negative around you, mm -hmm. who will say you'll never make it. You know, everyone's like, you'll never make it. You'll never do it. It's tough. Only 1% succeed. Well, guess what? You could be that 1%, but you can't be around negative two people. And yeah. just uh, growing up, um, right. anybody that was negative, that would just um, cut my dreams. Um, even my mom, she would say, okay, yeah, okay, fine. But my dad was like, you can be whoever you want to be. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. You got to remember, my dad had hope. He had hope that nobody in all the Cambodians said, we're not going back to our country. He goes, no, I will go back to my country. And guess what? 1993, him and my family came back there thanks to the UN election. Okay. So my royal family, of course, uh, you know, my uh, uncle, Prince Norton, ran away with the prime minister. Uh -huh. And it was weird for the first time they had two prime ministers in a country. And it was Prime Minister Hun Singh, which is now he's the Prime Minister because he ousted my uncle. So they called all the family to come back. And my dad was Commander-in-Chief of the Royal Air Force. So he would rebuild the flying school, which he started back in the 1960s. He would then rebuild the airports because this is now after the Khmer Rouge. This is, you know... After everything, the, the country had to be rebuilt in 1993. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, that, that whole thing with the yeah. Khmer Rouge just totally destroyed the country. And so yes. thank goodness that uh, your father was able to go back and help the country. Yeah, uh, you know. he did. Yeah. But you know, a lot of his family died. Uh, my father had uh, kids, which I have half-brother and sister. They all died because they were not with us yeah. when we were uh, together. And if they were, we would have all been out on that first plane out to the U.S. Yeah. But so, you know, before he passed away, and I'll tell you how I got to the country, he, uh, I asked him, I said, why are we the lucky one to be here in the U.S.? Because I never knew what happened. Of course, it's... Yeah, because you were, you were four, yeah, you were right. four years old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he just said, because he helped the U.S., he was the middle person. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. But mm -hmm. how I was able to go back to my country... Years later, just after graduating in 2010, because my dad, after living a great life here, I mean, he struggled, but we were really happy. We established, you know, a lot of community throughout the United States. Help, he was helping others, but his main one was Long Beach, Seattle, and Fresno. Mm -hmm. And he was, um, he only had like five years to live, and he was on dialysis here. Mm -hmm. And the doctor gave him permission to go back to his country to pass away because he's Buddhist. Yeah. You're Buddhist. Your goal is to be cremated mm -hmm. and where the Tonsilat River meets and the Mekong River meets, which the Mekong River is the biggest river in, the, in Asia. Right. And right. it happens to cross right there in the capital city of Phnom Penh, Cambodia, mm -hmm. across the royal, from the royal palace. You can see it when you're on the boat. Mm-hmm. So in 2010, after my dad, you know, um, said, okay, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die in my country. So we, we said, okay, fine, dad, we will help you 
go back to the country mm-hmm. and fulfill your dying wish. And that's how I was able to go back to Cambodia because, like I said, David, when you come here and you're refugees and you get teased and harassed, you don't want, you kind of distance yourself. And I talk to other Cambodian Americans and they have the same story. You distance yourself from the community because you don't want, you think you'll be, uh, you know, teased mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So I, even though my dad was so involved in the community, I distanced myself in college and after that because I just didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um and I know it's it's a it's to block your your feelings, your heart. So that's just the way of coping with certain issues that you have to deal with, and that's what we dealt with. But my dad, you know, was like, I went to the, in Cambodia, so okay, dad, I'll go ahead and take you there. I'll stay there, fulfill your wish. And like I said, I don't know my country because I'm only four years old. Right. I go back, I'm like. 40 something. Yeah. And yeah. I had to learn my country, my culture, the history of the royal family. Like I said, nobody told me this, but to experience it. And that's when in 2010, when I made my move, left everything behind the U.S., and I had to, you know, go there, which the first couple of months was very tough. I uh, didn't want to tell my father, but I cried every night for three months. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to acclimate in a country that was supposed to be my birth country. Right. I was born, but I'm not familiar with it. And I just did it. And I had to learn how to be a princess. I know this is funny, but it's like that movie, The Princess Diary. Have you watched that movie, Sean? Um, David? Uh, yeah. I, I've heard of it. I haven't okay. seen it. Is that with okay. Diego Montoya? So, yeah, you've got to see it. Yeah, No, it, it, it's the other um Anne Hathaway. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I've so, heard of it. Yeah, she's like a younger her. version. It's really good. So it's like she's thrust into because she's a princess. She has to fulfill her duties, and she has no clue how to dress, how to act, and anything of that. So that's how I was in 2010 when I went to Cambodia. I had to speak the language I did not know. I had to learn it, which, by the way, the Khmer language is a little bit easy. Foreigners, Americans, except that are, that are not Cambodian or Khmer, can go live in the country for a couple of years and learn the language. That's how easy it is. I, actually, English is a little bit harder than speaking Khmer. Okay. So I go there, and the first year I know how to speak because I can understand it because my mom and dad would speak to us, so we would reply in English, but I couldn't speak it. And once you live in a country, it doesn't matter what country, you have to converse with the locals. And, of course, that's the language, so you learn. So I learned how to speak the language. I started doing research. I learned about the country. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I told you, I had a radio show. I had the first English-speaking radio talk show in Cambodia. And uh, I interviewed the top 250 leaders of Cambodia, ranging from government to education to entertainment to CEOs. So I was able to understand how the country works. Um, So so was that the Barbara Walters in you? Yeah, you know what? Yes. So so all these years, even though actually was a Thank you. So before I went to Cambodia, I moved to Atlanta to continue, which I was an actress, which I've never done before. And, and Sean, I, I listened <laughs> to your interview. Um, oh, okay. I only wanted to make extra money to be, you know, in extras, you know, in movies and TV show, which I did in Atlanta. I never thought I could do that. And that's one of your, I never dreamed I could be an actress and I did it. Nice. Um, but it actually helped me because you're able to be, of course, to, uh, communicate and also change and change your role to fit the uh, where you're at. So that helped a lot. And yes, 
I was, became the Barbara Walters of Cambodia. So how long did and it I take did, you to get into your dream of broadcasting and journalism? Um, it took, well, I was in, because um, I didn't do it in, when I was working at Pelco. I was a writer. I was a marketing communications writer. So most of my culture, I uh, was able to write and do marketing. So I was focused on that, and I did not go into broadcasting until later. Okay. And it's like I said, it doesn't matter. You're, I'm not doing it. I should have done it in my 20s. I should have done I should have interned, but things happen, and I went a different route, which mm-hmm. is fine because when it's your passion, you're going to do it no matter how old you are. Yeah, it's so going to Yeah, so I did it in my later years, in mid-30s, when I moved to Atlanta, became a sports compare, and I started doing some small acting roles. And then the real one was when I had the opportunity since I moved to Cambodia. Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of people that are living there are usually the expats, the foreigners, and they have businesses. But no one's really been in the industry the broadcasting industry from the U.S. So okay. the person that hired me is uh, Dr. Cole Peng, who was also a, a former refugee, and he established himself and built the biggest university in the country. And he said, I want you to start the very first English-speaking radio talk show. I was like, oh, do they really want to listen to English-speaking when the language is Kamai? He goes, yeah. oh, no, Soma. The future generation, these are kids in their 20s and 30s, and that's the majority of the population because I said, they just started rebuilding the country, and most of the people of the older generation died already during the war. Wow. He said, they want to learn English. This will help. This is a tool. So they don't even care what I was saying, talking. They just want to learn English and speak English like me. <laughs> 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 but I used my, you know, it's like I was going to be the Barbara Walters of Cambodia, and I did it, and um, I enjoyed it. Um, it was very um, tough times because uh, they didn't have, any staff member that were knowledgeable and trained in broadcasting. So I created an internship to teach the students before it was first, you know, started. And yeah, the first month it, you know, was okay. But the first three months it was the number one radio talk show in the country. That's phenomenal. Provinces. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> and, and you were also a, <laughs> a columnist. Is that right? Oh yeah. This is later. Okay. Now the columnist is a really, big deal because you're working now for the number one newspaper in Southeast Asia called the Pumping Post. It wow. was a competitor with the Cambodia Daily. Now the Pumping Post is only one of two newspaper or media in the country that will speak up against the government because now the government, this is like 2000 something, is a dictator government. We're not right. supposed to say it, you know? Yeah. And it's the Hun Sen regime, which hmm. he ousted my uncle back in 19 19- 96, there was a coup d'etat, and that's a little bit more, you know. But, yes, this is what happened. So when they learned about my radio show, I mean, I've already interviewed everybody. They were like, someone want you to be a columnist. David, to be a columnist is such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, people don't know what it is, but you have your own. I'm on the, the second page every Friday. So you have government officials reading my column. you got everybody, oh. you name it, all Southeast Asia reading it. <laughs> and you know what I talked about? What did I you talk about, about? I talked about taboo issues that you're not supposed to talk about. You can just kind of whisper mm-hmm. an idea so I can educate not just Cambodians in the country, but to let other people know. So I talked about gambling, which Cambodians cannot gamble. They have all these casinos. And by the way, Pelco came a couple of years ago to build the Naga World Casino. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And talked about 
uh, human trafficking and uh-huh. drugs and alcohol, uh, just stuff that you can't talk about. And of course, you know, the pumping post not only make money, but also got recognized by it because they were the first newspaper to just, just talk about it. And of course I, uh-huh. and just let you know what happened with me. I'm not going to tell you everything. Cause I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. I was in uh, December 2012 accused of incitement Okay. from an article I wrote, which if you're accused of incitement in a country like Cambodia or Myanmar or North Korea or Vietnam, mm-hmm. you can either go to jail and the worst case, of course, they, they can kill you. Right. So, so my book, uh, when I came back in the state 2014, I just wanted to get back into, you know, because my dad passed away in December of 2012. I was accused of incitement in October of 2012. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in the country for about a year and a half on my own. Wow. And I just, at that time, still, you know, figure out what do I do next? Um, if I stay here, I want to help my people, my country, mm-hmm. but I can also risk my life. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a lot of soul searching. And of course, when I came back, it took me a, a, a two years of writer's block. That's another thing I love to do is write. I always wanted to be an author. In 2016, my book was published called Royal Rebel. And I'm so uh, thankful for it because I was able to talk about my family, the history of Cambodia. It, it's like the first half of the book, you're like a tourist. Uh, you're going to experience going to Cambodia for the first time, an expat, a foreigner, a tourist. And I'm going to just tell you where to go and experience just little things that and give you advice. Of course, the second half of the book will go into what happened with me. Um, but as all journalists, and I majored at uh, Fresno State in mass communication, hmm. television, and broadcasting. And I, you know, I want to be a journalist. Like I said, I want to be Barbara Walter. Print media, you know, print TV. Um, as a real journalist, and by the way, David, um, we don't become journalists for the money to make a lot of money. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know, Barbara Walter is an exception. Okay, right, right. We we become journalists because we want to be the first to give information to the public. We want to be the first to be the gate to help, to protect, to defend, uh-huh. to expose. That's what gets our adrenaline going. That's the passion as a journalist. Uh-huh. And I was able to do that. Never that I could do that. I was able to do that in my own country. And yes, I, I, I don't regret writing it because I've had a lot of uh, the government, the royal family, my own family members, the king, the queen mother, everybody was like, you need to retract your column and you mm-hmm. say that you lied and fabricated that article. I said, no, I'm not going to. This is, this is, sorry, I, I'm a journalist and integrity is very important. I'm not going to retract. And number two, I, this is the truth. And as a journalist, number one goal is to tell the truth. But like in other countries, the media is controlled by the government. Mm-hmm. If it's a dictator government or a communist government, the mm-hmm. media controls it. So it's rare to have a newspaper or a TV that can actually go against it. And, and they'll shut it down. They'll find ways to shut it, which I just found out the last year, the pumping pole was shut down after 20-something years in the, um, the country. And then wow. the um, Cambodia Daily, the year before, shut down. Because now the government, because they just had the election in July, they also uh, 
delete it and eliminate all the opposition parties. So the current regime can just be the only one. And yes, the last couple of years, several journalists were killed. Several journalists were put in jail. If you're Cambodian American, if you're, you are American, and since I am a, a, an American, I have dual citizenship, right. the U.S. government will help you. Just because yeah. you are an American citizen, they'll go into it and then actually be like, get into the, uh, try to get you out. Um, it's rare, especially now, especially with now Donald Trump in president. And then, of course, the current, the current regime still the longest running dictator, Prime Minister Hun Sen. Last year, they, you know, they had issues like, well, you know, I'm not going to give visas to all the, the, the government official family to come to the U.S. Well, then the Cambodian government goes, well, I'm not going to give visas to all Americans coming <laughs> from the U.S. to Cambodia. Right. And that was tough because I was able, to, I was not able to get into the country because of my issues still. And I wrote the book. Um, if I did, I would have had security bodyguards to help me, but they couldn't get the visa to get in. So that was another issue. And, um, yeah, so, Just for my safety. So yeah. do you go back anymore, or do you plan to? Or well I, well, I thought I could go back if there was a new regime, but I don't think so, just because the U.S. doesn't have jurisdiction over there now. And I okay. was told by, you know, I don't know, Dave had access to the security team and everything, and they all protected me. Um, he just said, no, they, don't, they didn't have access to, to get the visa, so I, they couldn't get in to help. But once I stepped foot on the airport, the U.S. can't really do anything. The Cambodian government, of course, can arrest me at the airport. Wow. You know? Well, absolutely but fascinating. I mean, yeah. it's just fascinating <laughs> yeah. the, what you've shared so far. And I know you have a lot more uh, things mm-hmm. to share t- uh, for our listeners. So how about if we take a break and we'll be right back in about, uh, in about 30 seconds. 85% of employees hate their jobs. That's right. That's what last year's Gallup poll said after surveying millions Only 15% were truly passionate about the work they did. If you are among the 85% who don't like their work, you're invited to join our weekly podcast radio show every Tuesday from 10 to 11 a.m., recorded live at Star Worldwide Network Studio in Scottsdale, Arizona at BeDreamDoRadio.com. You will hear guests of all ages and backgrounds who all have one thing in common. They love what they do. Tune in and explore how they found out what was most important to them, how they dreamed big, and put a plan into action to realize their dreams. Join us in the conversation. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back, listeners. This is your host, Dave Whitehorn, with son, uh, Sean Whitehorn here. Welcome back. And we have the extraordinary guest, uh, Princess Soma Norodome. Wonderful. Uh, Just love your story. And she is the author of The Royal Rebel. So tell us yes. a little bit about the book. Okay. Well, it was just funny because, you know, when you have to market yourself, you come up with, you know, some a brand. I never had to market and brand myself because that time when I became the princess of Cambodia, I was considered the educated princess. I know this is, we're just say, um, everybody in the family, it's not just royal family but i'm just going to tell you for example you know in your family um you have the crazy aunt the, the, you know the the, 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 the drunk uncle you know, the, do you know what i'm talking about yeah okay so um 
in the, in the royal family, I'm known as the educated princess. So all my cousins would get together, <laughs> all prince and princess. And they're actually... Two times spilling. We were winner. the only one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, what happened? <laughs> that's what it is. They don't think it's a, a, it's a cool thing to be known as the educated princess in the country of Cambodia. They want to be known as the best dressed princess, the, the party prince, prince, <laughs> princess, the diva. The, the diva. The dra- <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and I'm just like, oh, okay. They're like, you're so boring. You're that educated <laughs> princess. I'm like, okay. But you know what? I, I don't care because I'm going to explain to you how the uh, the educational system works and how we're blessed to be here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So when the war happened, most of the royal family and the current king, they were exiled and they went to France and to China. France mainly. Those are my cousins. I just recently reunited in 2010, and this is 1975. Wow. Only a few of us went to the U.S. thanks to my father because he, you know, helped the U.S. government and the Air Force. So that's why when we were here, we're not going to go around and tell people, oh, what's your name? Oh, I'm Princess Soma. Yeah, right, I'm right. Prince, whatever. Right. Sit, right. Sit down. They're not, that's why I kept my secret for so long. But in, when you go back, I am a princess by blood, not by marriage, Nordum. There's only two royal family members, the Cecil one and the Nordum. Mm. And I'm Nordum by blood. The great King Nordum the first is my great great grandfather. So we go back and I'm thrust into the limelight as the princess. Like you need to act like a princess, you need to behave like a princess, you need to dress like a princess, yeah. you need to be and that's the story that the princess diary, she had to learn how to do all that because it's considered um a disgrace. If you can't, this is your this is you're born by it. So I remember my first uh, royal family party when we had to honor one of the uh, Japanese businessmen who gave so much money to the country to build water dams out in the province. Mm -hmm. And we were all there. And I remember one of them went up to me. It was a, it wasn't, of course, my royal family member. It was just somebody that was a guest and they would, uh, David, I know that you're familiar with the culture. You know how you put your um, hands together like a plate? Oh, yeah. Right, right. And yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's how you greet right. in Asia, especially in Cambodia and Thailand. So you kind of put your put your, your hands together and mm-hmm. like a praying, um, and then you go down. That's when like somebody that's a com I don't say a commoner, but you go down. And then the prince and princess, queen, you can't go down with them. I remember my first greet, you know, with a, a I want to say a regular person, a commoner, they would just kind of go down and I started going down. They went down again. And I was going to get yelled at by the, <laughs> the queen's mother <laughs> nephew. And his name is giant. He's really giant. I know we're short, we're small, but he's a giant. He's like six something. And that's like a giant for the Asian culture. Sure, okay. Yeah. So he comes up to me and he goes, you need to act like a princess and know you're right. You can't be doing this. That is so such a disgrace. You better, I mean, he was just seriously about it. And I was just looking up to him because he's so big, you know. And I'm looking like, okay. He goes, you better start acting like a princess. You're in Cambodia now. So, yeah, I had to learn. I had to watch what my family did. I had to dress, wear the uh, Cambodian attires for all these events. And by the way, it is so uncomfortable. You know, those big baggy uh, silk pants. They oh, yeah. Of MC hat. Yeah, and you see it in pictures, and that's actually what I'm wearing at the cover of my book, MC Hammer Pants. That's why I call it because it takes two people to go to the, you know, when you want to go to the bathroom, you have two people to go there and, and tie you and put it back on. So it's not easy. But yeah, wearing that, um, they call it money. So I was able to get the Nayrell Rebel because 
by that time in 2010, 2011, I had a radio show. And then in 2012, I had my own column in the newspaper. Everybody wanted to do stories. It was kind of like the princess of Cambodia out, you know, and about or, you know, just, you know, acknowledging who I am. So several editors from Southeast Asian magazine started calling me the rebel princess. You know, and Royal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I so see. That I see. name, yeah, that name, that name stuck. So then, my column, when the publisher called me and said, "Hey, I want you to be a columnist for our newspaper. You can have, pay, you know, can you do it?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "It's going to be called the Royal Rebel, you know, yes. columnist by Princess Soma Nordum." And I was like, "Okay." So that name stuck. And then, of course, when I got in trouble in December 2012 <laughs> by the government, they called me the royal rebel, the rebel princess. And that's how I was branded. You know, the scarlet letter. I think about the scarlet letter. You oh, know, yeah, the, that's right. The, the famous yeah, yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I'm the royal rebel. I never named it. It was named by the public, by other yeah. uh, editors and stuff. So it stuck. And you know what? I didn't have even think about the name of the book. I just said, you know what? I'm just going to call yeah. royal rebel. So That's you you I didn't have it. to choose it. It chose you. <laughs> it chose me. I so, was the chosen one. I was destined. So yeah. what are what so, are the responsibilities of a princess to you then? <laughs> okay. So <laughs> besides going out to give rice to the poor in the uh, province, you have to go to all these events because it really is a big deal in, in Cambodia and Asia when you have a member of the royal family attend an event, whether it's an opera or a fashion show. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like to pick and choose certain events just because I am more focused on education. So anything has to do with education, uh, uh, supporting uh, organizations and school and universities, I would actually attend because when you an attendant is kind of like you're like a celebrity. When you know you have a celebrity attend, everyone's yeah. going to want to go just to meet you. Yeah. Definitely. So at that time, we have about 8,200 royal family members in Cambodia, and most of them don't get called. <laughs> and that's why at five, it always gets called. And because I was known and I was out in public, and as a royal family member, you're not supposed to be out exposing yourself. But because I'm the media, it was different. Right. So, yeah, I was able to be out and about and then start calling for it. So one of the role is to actually fulfill your duty is to help the country by raising money to help organizations and NGOs. Um, it, it's doing community service work. That's one of the main. Of course, number two, you you have to attend all of the events in the country. And, okay, you guys think that the U.S. has a lot of holidays. No. Cambodia, almost every month is a holiday. It's like when there's a holiday, the country, half of the people go to their province, and then the rest is just, a few only expats and foreigners that don't have family and they stay in the city, the capital city. And that's where I stay. So you have to, so number one, it's community service, attending organizations to raise money. Number two, it's, um, you know, going to these events that are Cambodian holidays, like, uh, um, new year water festival. Oh, yeah. You have to attend. Yeah. 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 Because so you're the, you're the face of the country, so to speak, for the public, yes, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, especially, there's only 30-something countries in the world that is a kingdom. Mm-hmm. When you hear kingdom of, this is kingdom of Cambodia, means that there is a king. 
yeah. and the king is chosen by the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that's why Cambodia has a king because it's now the kingdom of Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to fulfill your duties. You have to. I mean, it's that's just the things you have to do. Just because, like I said, I was thrust into the limelight as a princess, and I had to learn quickly. Um, but of course, the you know that the benefit, of course, is you're actually help raising, helping your country yeah. because you can raise a lot of money. And I started doing that, and got I did get invited to a lot of events. And of course, some of my royal family might love it because they get to attend all these parties and free drinks and free food and free alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into that. But, food. but you have been. Uh, you also have volunteered in a lot of charity organizations as well. Oh, I already started that way before. And that's something that the royal family didn't have to teach me. I started doing when I was little because my father, like I said, he was, in, uh, you know, supporting building communities to help refugees. It's not just Cambodians, all refugees mm-hmm. to help them, you know, get housing, get their citizenship, you name it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I was young and he already started uh, teaching us how to uh, volunteer. And then when I go to college and then, in, you know, working at Pelco, I was involved in Boys and Girls Club, right. Boys for Tots. Um, right. You name it, every organization that has to, to help, especially kids in education, that's actually what I uh, like to focus on. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, then in 2013, um, yeah. I don't know, I didn't know this, but last week I was speaking at the Rotary Club of Visalia, and mm-hmm. um, Claudia, who is a member there, she invited me, and she, uh, the president said, you know, he went up there and he goes, and Soma received the highest honor of the Rotary Club International, the Humanitarian Award. I didn't know that that was it. I just thought it was something else because in my book, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that seems a lot easier because in my book it says, I received the Peace Through Service Women's Leadership Award. And, and he just made it easy, goes, Humanitarian Award. So I was really honored to receive the Humanitarian Award for the Rotary Club International in Asia. That really, is, my, that really is an honor yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I didn't realize it was a big deal because at that time I was just doing my work and helping, you know, the country, um, not just in Cambodia, but outside, like in the U.S. and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. to me, that was, to that, you know, for something like this, I'm sure my father would be, you know, he's up there. I mean, he would be so honored and proud of me because he's always instill that in all of us is to give back to your community to your country mm-hmm. whether you have the money or the time so you don't have to be rich to give back you we were never living in the u.s never just filthy rich it was just always living normal lives and yeah there's times we did live a good life because we worked really hard you know education is the key to success education is the way up that's why a lot of refugees that started from the bottom have moved their way up because of right. education. No, there's nothing else. I mean, it's really that simple. Uh-huh. And uh, you're also involved in the Digger Foundation as an ambassador oh, yes. for that foundation. Oh, Could you share with yes. the listeners what uh, what that's about? Uh, I am so proud of this foundation. It's based in Switzerland, and I was supposed to actually attend a big event this month, but because I had to tell them what happened, what, you know, what, even said I could not travel over there. Right, right. And, and then ambassadors, they pick certain people in the world. And we actually have, like, um, if you Google the Digger Foundation and look under ambassador, mm-hmm. which is called referral. Referrals are ambassadors, R-E-F-E-R-R. 
we are. Mm-hmm. And what it is, um, the ambassador promotes the foundation to raise money. And it's to raise money for certain projects to, in, to help countries, not just Cambodia, but like in um, Somalia or that has still the landmines. You know, the landmines? Right, right. So uh, they actually spend so much money on building these tech- technological machines to go to those countries that still have the landmines, and Cambodia is one of them, and to get rid of it. And it's just so amazing. And when they called me, this was back in when I was already in the States because they were uh, starting the Digger Foundation in the U.S. And this one person actually happened to live in Southern California and said, hey, I'm going to start the Digger Foundation. Yes, I heard about you. Would you like to be a I want to meet you. Would you like to be uh, an ambassador for the Digger Foundation International? I was like, what is that? And I do believe in that because in helping, like I said, only be in certain organizations that will help your country, education, kids. And for me, that is such an important project because these landmines have killed so many innocent people. Mm-hmm. And we still have to get rid of it because those are still left from the war. Yeah. So I'm very proud of it. And, and I have... Um, former astronauts that are uh, uh, ambassadors with me. I have the uh, CEO of Longjean, the, the the watch. I have former um, just prime ministers. Of, if you go to the Digger Foundation website, I'm so honored to be a part of this team. And they asked me, I'm like, really? <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I'm just a journalist. They're like, but you're a princess Soma. Okay, here's the princess part. But you're a princess Soma. So they asked me to come this month, I just couldn't do it. Um, I just been so busy, David, and had to get ready. You know, I still, I'm still going through therapy and yeah. just been busy. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. so I just said maybe next next time. And yeah. they gave their condolences, and um, of course to Dave. And um, I'll still continue to help out. So I always refer people when mm-hmm. they go to the Cambodia. I, I'm the contact person for these landmines, and mm-hmm. I try to raise money. Um, but it's usually you're like the go-to person. Yeah. For certain projects that they want to uh, build. So, Soma, you're writing a second book. Yes. And what's yes. that about? Well, you know, if you read the first book, David, which uh, I will be sending you a copy. <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> Thank you actually, so much. I'll check it my, out. <laughs> yeah, my. Oh yeah, please do, and I just like a picture of you holding the book, reading it, maybe. Sure, absolutely. The show, you know, just to find my marketing thing. Yeah. But you can actually get my book on Amazon. Um, it's uh, on ebook or paperback, but I'm actually going to, st- I started my second book already and it's actually going through, continue from one, book one, if you read it, to book two, getting acclimated back in the U.S., uh, continuing your faith and finding love. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, um, if people know my story, they'll know, but also going through the grieving process, which I'm going through, I'm going to help others because I've had, I hear stories from other people who's helping me. I have a great, uh, friends, family that check on me all the time, see I'm doing. But this book is actually just just everything just put together. It's just, just from book two, you know, wow. uh, from book one. It's a continuation of my faith, love, and your passion for life. Well, that sounds very exciting, uh, Soma. When do you expect that book to be released? Um, I'm, I'm really determined. So I think probably next fall in 2019, I'll have a book party, book launch. Um, I'm moving to Diana next year so I can have that time to focus on writing my book. Um, uh, my goal is to fall. So of course, um, throughout California, I will have a big 
you know, book party, um, probably a couple of states, but yeah, I, I, that's my goal, but you never know. That's pretty quick. Uh, like I said, when I wrote the first book, I had two years writer block and I dedicated six weeks only on the weekends. And I wrote in six weeks. So if you're determined, you can write your book in a month. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. And if you're stuck, right? it might. And if you're stuck, it might take you yeah. ten years. Yeah, right. And I, I had, right. I mean, right. Right. Yeah. Some yeah. of the greatest writers are do real well, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they get stuck. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, mm-hmm. Soma, you've got such a such a story to share, and I would encourage the listeners to look up uh, um, mm-hmm. the um, Royal Rebel uh, and and to get online and purchase that book. And uh, to keep an eye out Thank for you. this uh, second book that's going to be coming out. So I'm curious, yes. how was your dream about being Barbara Walters working <laughs> out for you right now? You know, I I don't know what I want to do next now because you know mm-hmm. I wanted to be an actress. I mm-hmm. I wasn't in like in a big you known TV. Show. I was you know in certain small movies, Tyler Perry movies, and mm-hmm. um, extras, and a few you know that were. I loved it, by the way. I just never wanted to be. I always wanted to get you know, be the extra. Right. Uh, Barbara Walter, you know, as I, I don't know if there's a lot of part of my life I want to continue broadcasting. Right. But maybe, I'm not sure, book one and book two, David, is it going to be a combination of a screenplay I'll be writing for a movie. Wow. I think I'm going to go toward that field. <laughs> That's something I've never done. I'm going to try that. Let me just try this. Well, if you need any male actors, I know one. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, okay, yes, I know. I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking, yeah. So, so it's not Barbara Walters now in my latter part of my life, because, you know, that was the last five yeah, yeah. years. It's now going to be a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Something and, I've never done. And, you know, that's I mean, exciting. that's, yeah, I mean, so it's it's interesting as you're talking, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, say, yeah, this is my dream, and they almost feel like they have to fulfill something even though their feelings have changed, right? Uh, I know right. some people are so focused on, on executing a dream that they had yesterday, but really it's not in their heart of hearts. And uh, what yeah. you've done is mm-hmm. you've, you've been agile and you've moved from one thing to another. Uh, you've yeah. had to face adversity coming into the States when you first came in here as a four-year-old. And then you had to face mm-hmm. adversity. I know some of our listeners may not totally see it as adversity because you were a princess, but in fact, uh-huh. you had to learn the language uh, uh-huh. when you went back to Cambodia. And, and I know because you are Cambodian that people came uh-huh. up to you and spoke Khmer, and you didn't know a word when you first went there, right? Or, or very little, yes. I should say, right? And so no, I'm sure, I didn't know a word. Yeah, so I'm sure that, was, uh, that had its own adversity. And then, of course, with the tragic loss of your, uh, uh, of your fiancé, uh, and 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 dear friend uh, uh, Dave uh, Tosti. So, you okay. know, um, and, uh, and then going through therapy and having to uh, having to you know recover from all of that. And of course, you know, with the book that you wrote, um, you know, actually before that, with the radio show, and then with the um, column that you wrote, and actually in effect being kicked out of your own country uh, mm-hmm. because uh, you know of being accused of ins- being you know inciting. Uh, I guess, mm-hmm. re- a rebellious movements uh, because you were transparent yes. uh, around uh, key issues that the, that the country was facing. So uh, the other thing I want to say is that it sounds like you, you've carried on the mission of your father, that your father was really I dedicated did. to setting up communities in Long Beach, uh, Seattle, and then Fresno uh, for, the, uh, you know, for the Cambodian population and other refugees, and really how important uh, that is. I know... Um, 
you've mentioned other refugees. We know how big the population, the Hmong population is in Fresno as well. Oh, yeah. And, and the yes. role that they played in that whole conflict as well. So, uh, and here you are, you know, several different examples of how you helped others and helped your country and, and getting the, uh, the Rotary Club International Cambodian Award there for Peace Through Service Women's Leadership Award, uh, which is the Humanitarian Award, which is really a high, high, uh, high honor. And then your association there with the Digger Foundation. I, I see all of these things just, just coming together. So we're really looking forward to seeing this uh, second book uh, come out. I admittedly haven't read your first book, so I'm looking forward to reading your first book and then putting that together with the second one that, that's, that's coming yes. out. Yes, I'm so excited. I was just already thinking about like marketing it, like maybe putting like, you know, I want to always launch in the fall because I think it's always a good Christmas gift. So I'm thinking maybe combining book one and two together, like a Christmas, you know, gift. You know, it's always about marketing. Like I said, I came from a marketing background, well, and that, um, always thinking ahead. <laughs> that makes that makes perfect smart. sense. Yeah. That's that's really right? that's right? really really smart, uh, Soma. So you know our show, right? Be dream yes. do, yep. be dream do, yes. right? So we always ask this question of our of our guests: mm-hmm. How does that story of you know of of being who you are and having the courage to dream and then putting a plan together to simply do it. How does that resonate with you? Because we live in a country that you can start off as refugee and be who you want to be and have a dream and fulfill it. I feel like in the U.S., I'm so blessed to be here, I'll be honest with you. The, the, the educational system is great. Um, in other countries, they don't really think about that. Um, we're blessed to be in a country that we can criticize the government the president, and you're not going to be uh, in trouble for it, let's just say. But yeah. in other countries, that's the freedom of expression, the freedom of the press, the freedom of speech is so important. And a lot of us take that for granted because you've always been here and we never left the country mm-hmm. to go. And uh, then we get, in, you know, we don't get to use that. Um, like I said, it is a, a dream. A dream is the American dream because you can mm. come here, not just as refugees, immigrants. But you start from the bottom. They don't care who you are. If you're going to be King Albert, Princess Maurice, <laughs> who cares? Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to start from the bottom and you're going to work your way up and to be successful. And so many people I hear, I always hear about their dreams coming here and starting a business and becoming successful, uh, becoming an actor, uh, you know, becoming president of the United States. That's why, to me, this is, it fits it, you know, just dream. So thank you so much. Dream. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I mean, actually what you're saying is, is that you've got the right environment here in the United States to, in fact, Uh be dream do. So thank you so much. Uh It's just been a most amazing conversation here with you. Really, really enjoyed connecting with you. And uh, we hope that you do stay in touch. Not only with this radio show, but with uh, with Sean and me, and uh, yeah. wishing you all the best on your second book, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, dear listeners out there, Princess Soma Nora Dome. Thank you so much. Do what you love and love what you do. Thank you for joining David and his guest. Make sure to catch Be Dream Do Living by Design every week right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com.